Have a seat, have a seat. It's so good to be with you. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're new to the Vine, if you're new online, welcome. We're so glad that you found the YouTube link somewhere, somehow, and that you're with us. Uh, if you're here in this room, I'm so glad that you found 29 Burroughs Street somehow, somewhere, you're here. Um, if you meant to go to the Baptist church next door, we love the fact that you're here <laughs> as well. Welcome. As we continue our series in Psalm 23, we do so today by looking at perhaps the single most famous verse of that psalm, the most famous psalm that we have in all of our scriptures. This is the most famous verse of that psalm. Uh, you would have heard this verse spoken many times before, uh, perhaps read it, uh, seen it in movies. Let me read it to us once more. It says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll say that again for us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I've been saying throughout this series what an incredible poet David is. In fact, this whole psalm is a beautiful, structured, ancient Near Eastern poem. And, and we've seen in the last few weeks the kind of poetry that he's brought to us, the imagery he's brought to us. It's been amazing. He's been talking about God being a shepherd, kind of trying to align our ideas to the fact that God is, is not this angry schoolmaster or God's not some ethereal thing up in the clouds somewhere, but he's like a shepherd present in our lives. He, he told us already that because he's our shepherd, we lack no good thing. There's nothing in our lives that we lack. He is abundant in his blessing to us. And he's described what some of those blessings look like. He's told us about green pastures, that God will lead us to places that will be abundant for our strength and for our life. He's told us about quiet waters, that God will take us to places that will chill us out, restore us, give us what we need to survive in life. He's, he's talked about paths of righteousness, that God will lead us into places where we'll come to understand his righteousness in our lives, that we would know we're also righteous, not in our own strength, but in him. I mean, all that that David has done so far in the psalm has shown us everything that we can say amen to, the kind of life we want to live. I don't know about you, but I want green pastures. I want quiet waters. I want my soul restored. I want to lean into the blessings and the goodness of God. And then he gets to verse four and David does a U-turn on us. He suddenly goes, oh, and by the way, if God's going to lead you, guess where he'll also lead you? to valleys that are like shadows of death over you. And when you're reading the psalm and you're tracking along with the poetic nature of it, you're all like, you're on a high thinking how amazing God is with green pastures. And then David sort of takes the rug and pulls it out from under us. And he says, you want to know what life is also like? Oh, we all want to lie down in green pastures. We all want that lovely, quiet water. We all want the bonus at the end of the year that we've worked really hard on. We all want the relationship that we're in to work out. We all want to find that perfect spouse for us for the rest of our lives, whatever it might be. We want the green pastures. But David is telling us that there's another kind of season of life. That if you think as a Christian, your whole life is going to be dedicated to only green pastures, then you need to wake up. In fact, he's using the poetic structure here to wake the reader up, to, to kind of subvert the feeling that he had placed in them. And he's saying this, guys, you need to understand, yes, there will be times of greatness, times of blessing, times of abundance, but there's also going to be times of struggle and hardship and pain, times where it's going to feel like you're in the shadow of the valley of death. 
David's saying, you got to understand the seasons that you're in in life. You know, we've just come through the last three years here in Hong Kong. We're like, we know that season, right? Like every single one of us in this room, we know what it is to suffer. We know pain. We know hardship. We know what it was to go through the process time, to go through COVID, the restrictions that are still upon us now, the struggles with travel, the disruption of family. I mean, we've all felt like we've been in a valley of the shadow of death, perhaps, over the last three years. And David is writing this psalm in a valley of death himself. As he's literally writing Psalm 23, his own son, Absalom, is trying to kill him, trying to track him down and kill him. So David has fled from the safety of his home into the Judean wilderness, and he's now hiding in dark caves. So when he writes I, this idea that God leads us into valleys of shadows of death, it's basically David saying, I know what that feels like because I'm in that place right now. There's pain there. And if you're in this room and you're in a place of the valley of the shadow of death, then the good news is you're in good company with the rest of humanity. And don't fall for the lie that just because you believe in Jesus, your life is going to be suddenly all green pastures. Come on, church. But here's the crazy thing. David's actually saying something even more than that. David's not actually saying that you're going to experience in your life sometimes a season of green pastures and sometimes a season of dark valleys. He's actually saying that those two things can actually coexist at the same time. The reason we know he's saying that is because in our modern translations of Psalm 23, we've added numbered verses. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4 to help us dumb sheep understand what's going on here. In the original that David wrote, he didn't number his sentences, one, two, three, and four. He actually wrote a poetic structure. And in fact, when you read the psalm in Hebrew, verse three and four, verse three speaking about the right paths that God leads us on, and verse four talking about the valley of the shadow of death, those are not two separate thoughts for David. It's one continuous flow. Two different sentences, but one continuous flow. It's like David wants you to understand that the right paths and the valleys that are dark can sometimes be two realities of the same moment in life. And that's actually a deeply profound thing. That love and suffering can be side by side. That hope and despair can have a similar experience in the same moment of our lives. And it's like David is inviting us into something that is so beautifully nuanced that we have to realize it's not just about separate seasons. It's about actually what I'm walking through right now. That I can have in my everyday moments of great joy and moments of great despair. And in fact, he's even saying it more deeper than that. He's saying this. Listen to this. Sometimes the path that God needs to lead you on is only right if it goes through a darkened valley. Oh, you don't want me to preach on that, do you? That's what I'm going to preach on today. That sometimes the actual right path for you that God wants you to be on, actually takes you into the valley of the shadow of death. That actually God understands what you really need for your soul to be restored. And sometimes that means that there is the beauty of pain. 
pain. Ooh, the beauty of pain. If you're an anesthetologist in this room, you would understand what I'm talking about. I want to unpack the idea that there could be beauty in pain, that there could be God in the dark valleys. And as I do that today, I pray that this will be helpful for some of you who have lived more of a dichotomous life, where you've come to, and I want to say this, and I feel this is prophetic for some of you in this room, you've come to only ever associate God with a good feeling. Oh, I'm going to say that again. That's not in my notes. That just came. That's cool. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> some of you in this room, you only ever associate God with a good feeling. And of course, God has lots of good feelings, but he's also something more. I want you to see what he says here. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the term that he uses, David, for shadow of death here is a Hebrew word. It's tasmach death. And what that word literally means is shadow of death or total and complete darkness. David is trying to help you to understand what the valleys of life can feel like. And he's not just writing poetically and metaphorically. He's actually talking about real valleys. Remember, I've been saying in this series that David is writing in the Judean wilderness. He's writing in the very place of a desert. He's writing in the very place where he had been a shepherd at the early stages of his life. Now he's hiding in caves there. And in the Judean wilderness, where shepherds would bring their flocks all the time, there were these places of valleys that were known uh, as Tavmalfeth. And these valleys were literally craggy rocks within the Judean hills. And they were shaped uh, sort of really narrowly. Sometimes to get through them, you could only get through the rocks single file. They were quite high as well, craggy, uh, broken rocks. And you would have to go down in through the valley in order to get out the other side where perhaps you would want to go. There was no way of getting over it or under it or around it. You would have to always go through it. David is picturing this idea as he talks here in the psalm. I've actually personally experienced these valleys for myself. I actually stayed a night out in the Judean wilderness on my own in 2016 with nothing other than two bottles of water, a rucksack on my back, and a sleeping bag. And I did it because I wanted to experience what Jesus would have felt being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, because I'm not Jesus, I did not do it for 40 days and 40 nights. I did it for about 14 hours. But I was on my own, completely in the middle of the Judean wilderness, which is a very dangerous place. Not just Bedouins, the Israeli military operates in that area as well. And the Israeli guide that I had who was helping me do this, uh, he didn't come with me, but he stood on the outside of the Judean wilderness, and he said, okay, you're going to walk that way. I'm like, okay, cool. He's like, and here's how you survive. I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on a sec. What do you mean survive? <laughs> like, is it that dangerous? He's like, here's how you survive. You need to go through for about three and a half hours, and then you'll find yourself coming out onto like a, a raised plain, like a higher area. And he said, that's the place that's safe to sleep. And I'm like, what do you mean by safe? Can we break that down, please? He's like, well, the dogs don't come up there. So that's good. I'm like, well, that's good. And he said, like, the Bedouins also don't rarely come up in that space. If you, if you actually camp down in the lower places of the wilderness, uh, you'll actually get attacked by the Bedouins probably. They'll come and mug you and take your valuables. Um, but so get through that and, and end up in the plane. So I hiked for about three and a half hours through what David describes as the valley of the shadow of death. It was scary. 
It's dark in there. It's so dark, actually, in places where you're walking single file through that kind of valley area that the sun never gets in that place. So although it was like 40 degrees and I was hiking in about 40 degrees, when I was inside, it was super cool. At night, if you were in there, it would be freezing. You'd probably freeze really badly. It's weird to think about freezing in a desert, but that's what happens in these valleys. That's what David's picturing. And I realized I needed to get through that in order to get to the other side. David is explaining in the psalm that here's what the shepherd sometimes has to do. To take you from the pasture that you're currently in to the one that's actually going to be the thing of blessing for you, the thing of growth for you, the thing of restoration for you. The shepherd needs to lead you through the valley that feels like a shadow of death. Notice here the word that's used. It says through the valley. David did not say we run through it. He doesn't say we crawl through it. He says I walk because the shepherd is leading me through the valley, but I'm getting through it. And here's the first thing some of you in this room need to know. The dark time that you're in right now, the thing that you're really struggling with, the place of suffering and pain, you need to know it's a path that God is moving you through it, that it's not actually going to be your permanent home. Some of you in this room, you think because of how crazy this is and how hard your life is right now, that you think that's the permanent place that you're going to be. David is saying there's a valley of the shadow of death. He's not trying to hide the reality that sometimes we face struggles in life. But what he's saying is it is not your home. It is not where you camp. You camp through and up on the other plane. You need to get through that valley. It is not the place for you to stop. It is not the place for you to feel like it's home. But some of us, when we're going through hard times and suffering in life, it can be so all-encompassing that we actually begin to think, well, this is, this is my life. This is all I can have. This is my plot. I guess I'm just going to have to live here. And David's saying, do not stop walking. There's momentum here. Even though I walk, he doesn't say I pause. He doesn't say I stop. I walk through the valley. I've got to go through it. I can't avoid it. There's blessings in it, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, but I still need to get through it. Some of you have stopped, and Spirit's word to you today is walk again. Equally for some of you, the dark valleys have come to define how you think about yourself. This is really beautiful what David does here. He says the valley is the dark place. He doesn't say you are the dark place. He doesn't say the sheep are the dark place. He says the valley is. The valley feels that way. And, and, and so often what happens for us as Christians sometimes when we go through a hard time is that we actually, the enemy does this to us. He tries to create a strategy where we take that dark and hard time and we begin to think that that's who we are. We begin to think that, oh, this always happens to me. I deserve this because of X, Y, and Z in my life. Or, or this is happening to me. This is part of my identity now. I guess I'm just always going to be an unlucky person. I'm always going to be a person that's upsetting people. I'm always, and we suddenly start to think that we are defined as the darkness. And David's like, never think of yourself as the darkness. You are children of God, saved by him, redeemed by him, released into the light doesn't mean you don't experience some darkness, but the darkness is not you. Some of us need to release the fact that we've identified ourselves in the darkness and go, no, 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 hang on a sec. This situation I'm in, it sucks. It sucks. But I am not the sum total of that situation. He then says this. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
It's like, David, really? I will fear no evil. The word evil here literally means disaster or calamity. David's saying, when I'm in the darkest of places, I will fear no calamity. I will fear no ultimate disaster in my life. Notice that David does not say, I won't have any disasters. He doesn't say, I walk through the valley of shadow of death and nothing impacts me. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say, I avoid the disaster or I circumvent the disaster. He just says, I will not fear the disaster. In other words, he's talking about an internal perception about the reality of his circumstances. He's not, again, trying to give us a prosperity gospel. He's not saying, hey, if you just believe in Jesus, you'll be sort of sucked out of all the bad stuff that's ever going to happen in your life. He's saying, no, we sometimes walk through valleys that feel like the shadow of death. But guess what? I won't fear the reality of the situation I'm in. The situation may happen. That calamity may take place. For some of you in this room, that, that marriage might break down. That job may not work out. That relationship that you've invested your time in might not come into fruition. That, that thing, that investment that you made, you might lose your money. And all of that might happen. And that will be a calamity. It'll be a disaster. It will suck. It'll hurt. There'll be suffering involved. But what David is saying is when we know the shepherd, we do not have to fear the reality, the impact, and the shaping of all of that stuff. It may still happen, but we don't have to allow it to define us. Yeah. The word fear here literally means to not be overcome by or shaped by, transformed by. It's like David is putting a stake in the ground and saying evil, calamity, disaster will happen in your life, but it doesn't have to define you. Yeah. There is other things that will seek to transform you. You don't need to allow those things to tell you who you are. There is more to you than the disaster you might be in right now. What is the thing that's more? He says this simply, for you are with me. This is quite profound, although we, we read it and we think, oh yeah, but it's actually really profound. David's saying, the reason why I can be a non-anxious presence, fear no evil, a non-anxious presence amid the chaos of this world, is because I know God is with me in the darkest of places in the places of greatest pain, in the places that have overwhelmed me. He's saying God's presence is in the darkened valleys as much as it is in the green pastures. And church, this is something we really need to wrestle with because as Christians, it's very easy for us to just think that God is only with us when things are going well. Right. We, we have a tendency to think God's presence is found when we're lifting our hands in worship in church. We think God's presence is there when we get the bonus at the end of the year. We think God's presence is there when we find our spouse for life. And yes, he is there in all of those moments. But we have this idea that we've come to define God's presence as only a good feeling. So therefore, God's presence is only ever with us when things are green pastures. But when things are hard, when suffering comes, when my life has been turned upside down, we tend to think God has left us. We need, to, we need to confess that faulty thinking of God. We think in our suffering, God is not there. And David is saying, in the darkest of valleys, he is with me. He never gives up on me, never leaves me, never forsakes me. He's always there for me all the time. And the reason why that's such a joy for David is because he realizes, if I understand that God is present with me in the good moments and the bad moments, here's the thing. 
I've come to realize what is the only true constant in life. Listen to this, church. Everything in the psalm so far, in Psalm 23, verses 1 to 4, all of the circumstances and situations David has been speaking about, green pastures, quiet waters, paths of righteousness, even valleys of the shadows of death, all of them are temporary. David is saying all these things are temporary. They're not your home. They're not the true constant in life. You want to know the one thing that is constant, that is bankable, that you can put your whole life upon? You can't guarantee green pastures all your life. Likewise, you can't always be in dark valleys. What you can know is that God will be with you no matter what is going on. That's the permanency of this. This is the permanency of blessing, that God is always with us. Stop thinking that blessing means good things for you. And start realizing that blessing means the presence of God in your life. And the presence of God in your life is needed in the hard times, perhaps even more than it's needed in the good times. He's the one constant thing that you can take to the bank and believe because of that, I can be a non-anxious presence in this world because I know my life is not dependent on the temporary nature of circumstances. My life is dependent on the permanent nature of God's character. He is with me. He's with me. My, my darkest valley, my darkest valley was uh, 22nd of March, 2019. By that day, my dad had been in the hospital for three days. And um, he'd had cancer for a couple of years, but the cancer had finally uh, shown up in his liver. And so for three days, he was in the hospital. And the doctors were doing some great work to help him to try some experimental treatments to see if there's any way of saving their lives. And the doctors were, were saying to us, maybe a week, maybe two. And we were in the midst of trying to process that. And on the evening of the 22nd of March, um, one of the doctors said to us, hey, it'd be really good if one of you could stay with, with your dad through the night. Um, and because it, he was in a male-only ward, that, that responsibility fell to me. And so my family all left at about 10 o'clock at night. And my dad was conscious. He was, he was awake. He was able to move about a little bit. He was obviously bedridden in many ways. His liver was causing him to feel like he needed to go to the toilet every two minutes, even though he had no water in his system to, uh, to urinate out. And I didn't really know what to expect that evening. But I, I sat at his bedside and I did everything I could in my power to make him feel comfortable for about six hours when my dad was in continuous pain. And I, caught, I couldn't give him drugs, of course. And it wasn't right. He had had some drugs earlier, so he couldn't take drugs again for a while. And I don't want to tell you all the things that we did over those six hours, because that's between me and my dad. But it was really painful to see my dad in that much pain and suffering. And none of my other family members saw it because they weren't there. And I had, to, I, had to, I had to try to help him as best I could. And after about, by about 3.30 in the morning, I realized I am absolutely at the end of my ability to help my dad, to relieve his suffering, to, to do whatever he needed. I, I think it was about 3.30 in the morning, and I was literally like, I have... 
nothing in me, physically, emotionally, spiritually. There's nothing left. I felt a failure. I felt a deep sense of pain that I couldn't be the son I wanted to be to my dad in that moment. I felt like I was just useless. And the Holy Spirit um, woke Sydney up. Sydney's sitting here. He's a doctor uh, at the Adventist Hospital. And woke Sydney up at 3.30 in the morning and brought him to my, to my dad's bedside. And uh, Sydney walked into the room, and I think immediately you could see that I was completely done. But I think you could also see that my father was not long. And so he said to me, you need to call your family. Get them here as soon as possible. So I did. I called my, my, my mom, my sisters, my extended family, my dad's extended family. and They all came in, and about 30 minutes later, my dad passed. And for about three months after that moment, I was very angry at God because I couldn't understand why I had to be the one to see my dad like that for six, for six hours. That the last memories of my father were those memories. And you know that if you go through a traumatic time or something that's really difficult, those become fresh and lingering memories for you. And I was angry at God that he would leave me with those memories. I was angry at God because he had called me to do something I was not capable to do because I couldn't stand with my dad in the way that I wanted to really stand with him. And during those three months that I was angry at God, he came into my life and began to work through what was happening in that moment with my dad. And he said to me, you can't imagine what it meant to your father for you to be present with him in the final six hours of his life. He said, Andrew, you can't even begin to grasp what that meant to him. And he said, and I know how hard it was for you, but I want you to know that in and through that experience, I wanted you, Andrew, to understand what it's like for me to be at your bedside every moment of your life. I will never give up on you. I will never forsake you. Even if you do the worst things, I will be there right for you. Because that's who I am. I'm your God. And even now, as I tell you this story, I feel a sense of like, why did I have to go through that dark valley to learn that lesson? But at the same breath, because green pastures and dark valleys can exist together in the same moment, I can stand before you now and say, I am more at peace in my life as your leader here. I am more deeply understanding of the power of the presence of God in my life for you as your pastor because I went through that experience. And David's trying to explain here in the, in the psalm that there are moments of green pastures in our lives that are designed specifically because there is only a part of God's character that can be learned during a green pasture moment. But he's also saying that the reason why he leads us through valleys of the shadow of death is because there are things of God's character that you are, can only ever grasp or know if you experience him in the midst of that place. And some of you here right now, you, you're seeing your dark valley as as how I felt on that day. And look, we know as we go through these things, it's really difficult. David understood that. He's not saying just because God's there, you don't suffer any pain. 
In fact, sometimes God's presence is the thing that brings us the pain because God's presence causes us to repent, <laughs> causes us to do things that we need to do to get right with him and right with others. But he's saying, I'm with you. And if you really know that I am with you, no matter what happens in your life, you will be set free from fear. I stand before you today way more set free from fear than when I was before that moment with my father. And then what does he say? Well, how does David finish this idea? How do we receive the presence of God? How do we know that comfort? How does that comfort fill us with hope? He says at the end, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's talking about the shepherd, right? He's continuing the imagery of the shepherd. He says, the rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is a rod and a staff, a shepherd's rod and a staff. Let me explain these two really to you real quick. This is a rod. This is actually um, a little bit bigger than what a shepherd's rod would have been. A shepherd's rod is about a meter long, so it would be about maybe that long. And it was designed to fit custom-made into the shepherd's hand. And the shepherd would use the rod for two primary things for the sheep. The first was the first line of defense on behalf of the sheep. The shepherd was very skilled at using this rod to defend back or to knock back any enemy or threat to the sheep. The shepherd could throw this thing and it would sort of spin in the air and the, the hard end of it would, would hit against, say, a bear or a cougar or a lion, something like that, and knock it back from the sheep. Sometimes the shepherd would get right in front of the sheep Sorry, and smacked them like this. Smack, not the sheep, not the sheep, but the, you're, you're a lion right now. Smack the lion away from the sheep, right? So sometimes that's what the shepherd would do, like hit or, or throw. If you get up and go to the toilet in the next 10 minutes, I'm throwing this thing at you. Don't think I can't get you in the upper house. I've done it before, I'll do it again. No, it's good. But that's what he would do. He would defend the sheep with the rod. And you need to know here, if you're in a dark valley, God defends you. And he defends you not with a physical rod like the shepherd today, but he defends you with three things. If you're making notes, these three things are very helpful to make a note of. The first thing he defends you with is the word of God. His word defines for you who you are. His word tells you the person that you are when the valley is trying to define you as the darkness. It's his word that we stand upon. It's his word that is the rock that is under our feet. It is what scripture says about God that drives us to understand who we are in him, no matter the circumstance or situation that we are in. His word is always primary, and God is never, ever going to back away from his word. He's never going to contradict it. He's never going to present anything other than who he has already presented to us in the scriptures. That's number one. The second thing is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the rod of God to defend the enemy's attack from your life. The blood of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross has purchased for you salvation and redemption. It has set you free. It means that death no longer is the end of your story. It means that you have a new path now. It means that the shadow of death is not a dead end. Before you came to Christ Jesus, the shadow of death is a dead end. After Christ Jesus, it's a path and a valley that has an entrance and an exit point. Christ is returning so that you would know the fullness of what it was that you were created for. He's returning, so you'll never know pain, suffering, or death anymore. But in the moment right now, where both green pastures and dark valleys can exist in the same moment, his blood covers you. It protects you and fights for you. The final thing is the church. God's community is a defense for you. 
It's the thing that stands beside you and says, we hear you, we see you, we know the hard time you're in. We're praying for you right now. God's church is the brothers and sisters, the children of God coming around us and saying, I've got you. You matter to me. And my prayers, the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And if you're going through a hard time right now, I will put that stake in the ground and I will defend you. I'll grab my rod on your behalf, which is the power of prayer, and I will stand for you. In fact, because I feel the Holy Spirit right now, we're going to do this right now. I haven't finished my sermon, just to let you know. But we're going to do this right now. If you are in need of the church to pray for you, for whatever it is right now that's going on in your life, I want you to stand right now. Come on, let's do some business with God right now, right in the middle of this. If you would like the church to pray for you, if you'd like someone to stand with you, if there's something going on in your life right now, why don't you stand? And if you're, se- if you're still sitting, which is awesome, I want you to lay hands on the people that are now standing. We're not going to worry about COVID in the name of Jesus. You can put your hands on people, physical human people. Father, we want to stand as a church community over the people that are standing right now. Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would come and fight back the enemy strategies over the people that are standing right now. Lord, if there are concerns, you would come. Holy Spirit, if there are fears, you would take them captive in your name, Lord Jesus. Lord, if there are things that are happening that are just not controllable for them, we pray that you would step in and take control. Lord, as the church of Christ, as children of God, we stand on their behalf. And we pray scripture that it says that the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We're not righteous in our own strength, but because of the blood of Jesus. So everybody in the lower house, in the upper house, online right now, we stand with you, and we say, get back, enemy, in the name of Jesus. You do not have any authority to take authority over these people. We release them into the care and the hope and the life of Jesus, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone says, all right, you can sit back down, but do not leave, because I'm not done. (laughs) Here's the other thing. I said there were two things the rod did. Here's the other thing the rod did. The rod was also used by the shepherd to discipline the sheep. And this is the bit that we don't like to think about, but I'm going to preach on this one for a minute. In fact, David said, this is a comfort to me. It's a comfort to me that the shepherd disciplines me, that the shepherd corrects me because I need correction because I'm the sheep and not the shepherd. And he said, one of the things that helps me get through a valley of the shadow of death, when I realized that the valley was sometimes caused by my sin, when I realize that sometimes my poor choices, my my words, my language, my actions actually created the suffering that I'm in right now, I'm grateful that I have a God who's big enough to come alongside of me in grace and forgive me, yes, but also say, go and sin no more. Also say, hey, there's a way that you are living that's not the way I want you to live. A, A shepherd with the rod, let's say a sheep was on its way to eat some poisonous weeds. There were a lot of poisonous weeds in the Judean wilderness. And the sheep didn't know a poisonous weed from a non-poisonous one, but a good shepherd did. And so if the sheep was heading towards the poisonous weed, here's what the shepherd would do. He would take the rod and he would smack it on the ground. He would never hit the sheep. But he would hit the ground in front of the sheep and immediately the sheep would then be so scared that it would turn around and run in the other direction. I've had many times in my life where God has taken the rod and smacked the ground before me. We said last week that we should have an expectation that God leads us. 
part of God's leadership in your life is his discipline of your life. It's his correction over you. And I wasn't gonna talk about that last week because I wanted to talk about it this week. But here's the thing you need to realize, that we can't have the expectation of God's direction in our lives without actually opening ourselves to the acceptance of his correction. In fact, expectation of God's leadership without the appropriate acceptance of his discipline is delusional. God desires to discipline you because he loves you, because he's making an investment in you, because he's saying, you're my sheep, and my sheep need to walk strong in this life. My sheep need to know my voice. My sheep need to be the non-anxious presence in a chaotic world. My church needs to rise up in strength, and when the church is in sin, he will come and discipline those that he loves. Some of you need to realize that you are actually interpreting the discipline of God for an attack of the enemy in your life because you associate God too much with a good feeling. And sometimes we turn conviction into condemnation. In fact, uh, in the New Testament, I've just got a few more minutes. Is that okay if I can keep going with you guys for a bit? <laughs> okay, then. Um, I want to read you something from Hebrews. And in the New Testament, they talked about this all the time. It's not just the Psalm 23 thing. Here's how the author of Hebrews put it. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as a child. For what children are not disciplined by their fathers? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons and daughters. Moreover, we have all uh, had human fathers who have disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we now submit ourselves to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. There's Hebrews saying God sometimes feels like a bit of pain. It's painful at the time. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. Ah, oh, David says, your discipline comforts me because it keeps me away from the poison weeds and it releases me onto the right paths, even when those right paths take me through a valley of the shadow of death. And then he says, finally, and I'm finishing with this, he says, your staff comforts me. A shepherd's staff is perhaps the most iconic picture of a shepherd that there is. In fact, there's no other profession that uses a staff that's shaped like this, the iconic hook uh, shape of the shepherd's staff. David says, this thing comforts us in the darkest of valleys. And the question is, how does this staff comfort us? Shepherds use this staff for one primary purpose. And it's perhaps one that you wouldn't necessarily think of. In birthing season, when the sheep are giving birth, when the mother sheep are giving birth to the lambs, when the lamb is birthed, the shepherd scoops up the lamb at the end of the hook. Here, scoops up the little lamb, carries the lamb, and places it at the head of the mother. Now, why does the shepherd scoop up the lamb rather than grab the lamb with his own hands? Well, it's because if the shepherd grabbed the lamb with his own hands, his scent would be on the newborn lamb. And so when the lamb comes and be placed before the mother, because it smelt human and not like the lamb, there's a chance the mother might reject it. 
So instead, it's like a pizza oven. Ooh, there's the pizza, and bring it over to your table right here, right? Like, there's the, there's the lamb, and there's the mother. And so in other words, God's staff comforts us because he enables us to be connected to one another. He wants unity in the, in the body of Christ. He wants us to do what we just did a moment ago, praying for one another, loving each other, cheering each other on, disciplining each other, being open to the discipline of one another, listening to critique and feedback. He wants us to be unified together. And so God does that for us, and it's a comfort, particularly in the valley that is shadowy and feels like death. The other thing that the, the staff does, and this is the one that you'd probably know it for uh, mostly, is when a, a sheep got a little bit out of the way, he would take it like this and pull the sheep forward like that. Good job, buddy. Good job. Um, now, not yank, not hurt, but a gentle connection to pull the sheep back to him. So the staff not only brought the sheep and connected them to the sheep, but it also brought the sheep towards the shepherd. And so when David says the staff is a comfort to us, he's talking about the fact that we can react and relate to one another and the fact that we can relate and react and be intimate with God. Where the rod was a symbol of power and authority and strength, the staff is a symbol of intimacy and love. So let me summarize all this with this. God and his presence is what transforms you. And the single most important thing David wants you to know when you're in the valley of the shadow of death is that it is his presence that transforms us transforms you. And I want you to take this, because this is really important. He does not say that he will transform your circumstances. In fact, God is not interested per se in transforming your circumstances. What he's interested in is transforming you. Because if he can make you fear no evil, no matter what you go through in life, he will make you a fiery, passionate, non-anxious presence in the chaos of this world. And there is nothing greater than that. His desire is to change you more than his desire is to change your circumstances. And let me finish by saying this. Some of you need to stop asking God to change your circumstances when God is using your circumstances to change you. For those six hours with my dad, I prayed a lot for God to relieve my dad and relieve me, and it didn't happen. I prayed for God to change my circumstances, and it didn't happen. And I was bitter about that for months until God showed up and said, I changed your dad because he's now in glory. And I changed you because you're now that much stronger in me. May you know a God who loves and transforms you. And may you not allow the darkness to overcome you. I wonder if you'd stand with me. I'd love to pray for you. Father, we're just grateful that we have a God who doesn't hold back on us, who doesn't try to paint a, a rosy picture and ignore the big elephant in the room, a God who is willing to say green pastures and dark valleys exist together, at least in this time before the return of Christ. Father, I thank you that there are things that we can only know about you in the green pastures and things we can only know about you in the darkest of valleys. 
Lord, people in this room, some of them are going through the darkest of valley right now. And Lord, I wanna pray that they would know you are here. I wanna pray right now. If that's for you, just open your hands as I'm praying. I wanna release this over you today so that you leave here filled with hope and expectation. I'm not promising you today a change in your circumstances. I'm not promising you that you're suddenly gonna get out of the valley that you feel you're in. God, what I will promise you is that God is leading you through the valley. What I will promise you is that you're not alone. What I will promise you is that you have the word of God, the blood of Christ, and the church standing on your behalf. What I will promise you is that you have the spirit of God working on behalf of you to draw you in intimacy with the people around you, with your community group, with your uh, family, and here with him as well. I will promise you transformation for yourself, if not transformation for your circumstances. Lord, I pray that you would root us as non-anxious presence in the chaos of our city. Lord, I pray that we would know you as a shepherd in this way. And I pray too, Lord. I pray too, Lord, that you would, you would be a God that we honor. I just confess, Lord, that I have not honored you always in the seasons of my life. I confess, Lord, that I have not always honored you in the dark valleys. And I pray now, Lord, for all of us here, for the Vine Church, for those online and those in this room. Lord, we're sorry if we haven't honored you at times in the dark valleys. Lord, would you forgive us? I know you do forgive us. Lord, would you scoop us up on that staff of yours, the Holy Spirit? And would you bring us close to you again? And Lord, we thank you for this. I want to encourage you not to rush. We're going to continue to worship now. And we'll close the service in just a minute. But I want to allow this space for the Spirit to minister to you. So maybe just keep your hands open where you are. Maybe just allow the Holy Spirit to continue to come. We've got a prayer team as well. And the prayer team are going to be available for you to receive personal prayer if you would like that. But as the worship team come and just sing over us again, take this time. The Holy Spirit is here so beautifully with you. Don't rush the time to just connect with him.